You're listening to the Sister Luna Psychic Services Podcast. We're very lucky to have the lovely Allie Dukes with us today. She is a handler and protector of art and um, lovely occult queen and moderator of one of my favorite um, witchy Facebook groups and a chaos magician. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I, can, I feel comfortable self-identifying as such. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us. Well, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. Tell us a little bit about the work that you do with art, if that's possible, just to set up the connection between chaos magic and visual art mediums. Sure. Um, well, I've always I've always loved drawing and painting since I was young, and um, Great of a conservative family, it was like, well, you're not getting a fine arts degree. So I nice. flipped them a bird and got an art history degree. Nice. And uh, I found my way into art handling almost two years ago, which is kind of like a lot of what I'd been doing at like various places I was working. But then like, so being like a full time art handler is like I'm at a warehouse every day at the crack of dawn. Um, like loading trucks to just be like delivering them all day to like galleries, museums in the city. Um, we do a lot of pack on sites, uh, installations. So like we'll hang people's paintings and uh, do gallery installs. Um, but it's a lot of fun because I love working with my hands. I like making things and the satisfaction that comes with that. It's just kind of like a regular theme with like creating art or doing work or using chaos magic is like results based. And being able to, like, step away and have something completed is, like, super satisfying to me. Right. Absolutely. I was the other day on the couch watching Xena Warrior Princess and doing some Googling on chaos magic. Um, and results-based magic was one of the alternate, like, names for that practice that I found. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, the uh, one of the founding philosophers that, like, like Peter Carroll's like the main guy, but he pulled a lot from uh, this guy, Austin Osman Spare, who he was actually also a, a carpenter and a painter. He kind of set the foundations of a lot of uh, modern chaos magic. Yeah, um, Osman was uh, the official war artist in World War One. Is that right? Yeah. That's what I was looking at. I was like, wow. That must Very be an interesting character. <laughs> Talk about having an impact on the culture of the time. Sir, what does that title mean, the official war painter? I don't know. That's what it said on um, <laughs> Wikipedia. That's what it means. <laughs> I assume it means he was producing, like, propaganda art, right? I, I imagine it would have to be, which is, like, kind of a big part of, like, the power of words and images is, like, using them to create a mood or kind of create a history. So I, I think he went around just like kind of painting like war murals. And uh, I know he was still in, what was it? Lon London or yeah, various places. He kept moving around England during the war. So he wasn't like frontline, like I must paint this pitch battle. <laughs> right. <laughs> just getting shot at like ducking and with his paintbrush. I guess I, I can kind of picture what that is now because that is fairly common in Latin American countries um, when they would have 
um, murals as a part of like, especially if they had a revolutionary history, they would like not elect, but appoint an official muralist um, that was like a state sponsored position. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Diego, the lover of Frida Kahlo, was one from Mexico. Mm. Love Frida Kahlo. Did you ever move any Frida paintings? Unfortunately, no. Um, but I do love Frida, and I love reading of her exploits and her horny love letters between her yeah. and Leon Trotsky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they just did, well, not just, I guess, pre-pandemic, um, there was a uh, a Frida exhibit at the museum that is in Calgary, where we live, which is rare because usually we're not that big of a city, so we don't get the good the good art generally at our museum, but that was obviously an exception. Well, and I visited her house last year. Yeah, break. <laughs> Whatever. Were they like uh, <laughs> the exhibit that they had at the time? There um, was all of her like homemade dresses, and so it had the incredibly cool um, like uh, dress that she made with a giant hammer and sickle <laughs> as the chess piece. I think that's called a bodice on a dress. But yeah. So results-based magic and success magic is the same, another word for chaos magic. And that kind of gives you a clue into what that means, right? Or how about you tell us how you first got involved with that type of practice? I keep wanting to call it a spirituality or something, but it's not, right? Like that's kind of part of, what makes chaos magic different than other types of occultism? That's what drew me to it because I was always very like skeptical of spirituality and kind of like overly mystical thinking. Um, not that I would call myself a woman of science, but like I, I believe in what I can see and what I can experience and what I can like test and prove rather than kind of like these abstract ideas. But I mean, I also grew up a total dork and loved all that sword and sorcery crap and like Lord of the Rings and also growing up Catholic is like super steeped in like very ornate ritual uh, and beauty. So like I remember growing up, I always loved like the sensory experience of like a big mass, like there's the stained glass windows, there's the incense, there's the candles, there's the beautiful hymnals, like all of these like collective uh, intense rituals to create that spiritual feeling. And it, even if I didn't believe in God, I still felt that spirituality. So like, I kind of, I started reading about chaos magic just as like a curiosity. I was like, Oh, this is cool. This is like something I can, I can get behind. Um, and then I never really put it into practice until I found myself in like a really bad spot. And like, I had no idea where to go. Every, Everyone I had turned to for help either couldn't or didn't want to help me. Aww. And I was just, like, trying to figure out how to, like, find a job, find a place to live, how to fix my car. I'm like, oh, I've spent the last of my money on uh, on gas that uh, my car just broke down. So oh, after, after some ugly crying, I was like, you know what? It's time to try it. <laughs> and I wrote an invocation 
and I collected like little like baubles I had around that I found particularly evocative. And I, I just started saying words and lighting the candles and in 48 hours, my luck was turning around like crazy. Like I had an interview for a job. Someone agreed to help me fix my car for half the price and I'd found a place to live. And it was, it was insane how it felt very magical the way everything wound up just working out. Yeah. And what felt like very little effort. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. One of the things that did occur to me when I was um, doing a little bit of research prior to this episode was it sounded like they were applying the scientific method to magic or to, yeah, yeah, for lack of a better word, to magic. And I thought that was bizarre and interesting because I'm also a science nerd, absolutely. And I have always thought that spirituality and science can actually coexist because when you consider the fact that your our DNA is almost the same as the DNA of a tree, it's the, you know, like our chemical compound is almost the same as every other living thing on this planet, or even inert things like rocks, we're mostly carbon, right? And when you think about that, that is in itself, a, a, it has a, a spiritual meaning to me anyways, like the, it's a scientific representation of the interconnectedness of all things. That's very true. And, uh, I, I like that you said that because kind of in I like studying different philosophies and belief systems and like through antiquity, you can see that humanity has always had a need for spirituality. Like they're they're always shamans or some some form of community ritual, some some influence of like decoration and art like these things have always been important to human beings. We've always had a need for them. Mm-hmm. And certain things have kind of taken their place in contemporary culture. We get like hyper atomized and drawn into this consumer culture where things kind of spirituality kind of becomes bought and sold. But I, th- I think it's really interesting that there's like there is a deep human need for it that I think like science has even been able to prove that like the benefits of ritual, how you just it doesn't matter what you ritualize. It's the fact that you have a ritual that that brings results, which is kind of the foundations of chaos magic. I don't know. It, it goes back to the old, like, saying or, like, cliche of, like, any like, sufficiently advanced um, science will appear as magic to mm. those who are unfamiliar with it. I don't know. I think you can interpret that old saying as also being the inverse, is that just because something is scientific does not mean it's not also magic. Right. One thing that's always fascinated me regarding the intersection between science and magic is quantum physics. Like, I think it's so interesting that we got better and better at science, of course, as that's what happens, right? The information is piling on top of itself and exponentially increasing in speed. And eventually they got to the point where they realized, oh, these atoms are just doing random shit. Like, (laughs) what? (laughs) So... That's where, to me, I find, uh, I don't know, like I have no problem with feeling like I can do like what you're saying, you know, create some really, really incredibly synchronistic manifestation and then also, you know, believe wholeheartedly in science and physics and like the natural Hmm. world. I don't know. Yeah. 
And for me, I do, I mean, I don't practice chaos magic really, right? I do, I do put my mental energy or my spiritual like essence, I guess, toward certain deities sometimes or different figures, sometimes celestial bodies themselves. It's not really regimented in any way, but I also have an understanding while I'm doing that, that I don't really think that all of the gods that have ever been imagined are truly like real sitting around at all times waiting for us to like talk about them or whatever. But I do think that them existing within the minds of people in humanity makes that's where their realism comes from. Like mm. it's real inside of your mind and therefore it it's real in a sense. Right. If that well, absolutely. And chaos magic addresses that because people pull people are free to pull whatever's evocative to them. So I I like to use a lot of a lot of mythology and and certain deities and forms and symbols that are evocative to me. Like I have the Baphomet and I have some some Christian iconography and crosses um, just because that was so formative to like my early spiritual tradition. Like it kind of creates that sense of like sacredness. Right. Yeah. And that is the effect of, like you were saying, going into a church or a cathedral, especially, and you instantly are talking quieter. You're thinking more slowly. Like it has an instant effect on you. And it's not, you know, unique to Catholicism by any means, but it's similar to if you were to walk into a mosque, the whole point of all those intricate patterns and carvings are to draw your attention and take you out of thinking and make you focus on your sensory perception of mm. that, like visual stimulus. So that makes, that makes sense. I find that it's a lot, uh, there's a lot of intersection, it seems, between maybe not Satanism itself, but though, like their iconography with people who are practicing chaos magic right now, it seems popular. I definitely see a lot of intersection and with, Church of Satan and the Satanic Temple, all all the various sects of Satanism have had a lot of uh, problematic <laughs> practitioners yeah. that have like kind of driven people away from the whole like organizing, like an organized spirituality is like, well, we're kind of defeating the purpose of like what we wanted to do, which was to get away from hypocritical figureheads and like other people and their agendas. Um, wow, cargo fast. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it, it seems to me like it attracted a lot of like the new atheist types and like like invited a weird kind of libertarian sect yeah and, and to, to an extent that was always kind of there i mean like one of one of the i forget his name off the top of my head but one of the guys who was helping anton levey like create uh like his satanic philosophy or whatever was like one of the guys working on like World War II missiles and was like a government defense contractor. And it's just kind of the buck stopped short for me with that, like nothing is real and everything is permissible. It's like kind of devoid of, of any moralizing. Yeah. There's like no, there's like no moral cutoff. All things are permissible in service of the self, which I think kind of sullies the, the spirituality and sanctity of, you know, trying to manifest things. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because that was previously something that I always was concerned about with the practice of chaos magic in that 
the point, I mean, my understanding is that the point of it is it's not based in any spirituality necessarily, and that it's just practice, like attempting a practice, seeing if it's effective. If it is, yes, now I'm including this. Mm. That's where the scientific method comes in. Like, is this, you know, does this produce the result that I'm looking for? Yes. Okay. Now it's part of my practice and there not being any foundation or necessarily that you're going back on like there's no golden rule essentially is that right if anything it's the foundational principle is that belief is the power and that the world is chaos and mm-hmm. that's where it may it departs from the the scientific element and i think makes up for what it lacks is that science is often trying to order the chaos we have our language for categorizing things and for reviewing them, correlating them. And that's not really the way the world is. It helps us sometimes, but like everything is chaos and things aren't happening for a reason. I mean, consequences mm-hmm. happen, but. Right. Yeah. Um, that's bringing to mind Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park <laughs> with his explanation of chaos theory. Uh, no, am I the only Jurassic Park nerd? No, 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 no. <laughs> he, Laura, he takes the drop of water and he puts it on the back of Laura Dern's hand, and he says, you know, your, um, which way is this drop of water going to go when I place it? You can't predict it. It's chaos because the minute imperfections in the skin and the little hairs on the back of your hand will all affect it, and there's no way to accurately like predict what's going to happen, at least not using science. Mm. But if you are manifesting effectively, it's quite terrifying sometimes how how effective it is. I even just recently quit a job because I was crying in the bathroom. At first it was once a week, and then it was like once every couple days, and then it was twice a day, and I was like, okay, (laughs) you know, the buck needs to stop somewhere. And I just was in the place very much like emotionally rooted in you aren't allowed to treat me like this. I'm I'm not going to stand for it. And that was all not projecting my mind into the future of what that's going to mean, or at least trying not to. And just rooting in that that emotion, that feeling and that um, assertion. And then in doing that, immediately I turned around and got a job that's right down the street from where I live not stressful at all it's boring it's easy um and that just turned around like immediately well i did a spell i did get a job spell um but it just like like that it was wild and it was literally like the place that's at the end of my street it could not be more convenient um so i don't know it's like, yes, it's chaos, but then at the same time, for some reason, you as an individual human can control it? What? <laughs> because we, we do have, we have more control than we give ourselves credit for. Like, we always have control over our actions. Like, there's reasons behind our actions, there's things that led us to that point, but there's still a moment where we get to decide how we engage with the world and how we decide to engage with the world greatly impacts what we get from the world. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And that almost sounds similar to the threefold law, which is the Wiccan concept of what you put out is what you get back. Right. Like that's, 
something that I'm in a lot of pagan groups on Facebook and people hate it when you bring that up. I think Wicca is really like losing favor with most people and I'm not a Wiccan either, but uh, my upbringing, because I was raised by my mom, who's also a witch, I guess you could say. Um, and she's not a Wiccan, but sh she had a lot of influence from that when she was raising me, that she kind of drilled some of the things into my head and the threefold law was one of them. Um, but people get so angry when you talk about that online now. It's not it's not unique to Wicca either. It's like there's there's Buddhist principles of like karma. So like there's other traditions. It's like yeah, it's exactly. it's kind of one of the inherent laws of like of kind of our ancient tradition of manifesting is that you have to be willing to lose what you or there's a cost for everything. So anything yeah. you want to get, there is a price for that. So you might lose something that you weren't ready to lose, which is another one of the scary things of manifesting, which like I actually got a little um, I got a little magic shy this year because I spent six months being like, oh, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more money. I, I, I wish more time and money to like be able to focus on art. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. And <laughs> I, had, I was working all this, all these, I had all this time and I had all this money from like unemployment and stimulus. And I'm like, I can't do anything. <laughs> I can't do anything with it. This is terrible. You can do art. You have to lock yourself in your house and paint constantly. That's the only I tried. I tried so hard. I maybe did like. I did maybe did like eight pieces that were even worth showing anybody. And it was just like, I was not, I didn't have it in me to do like the grand, whatever grand project I thought the one day when I have the time. But I mean, there's all sorts of like psychological factors with that. Just like, Absolutely. Mm. yeah, yeah, it's a very emotional thing to deal with. Everyone's experienced it. Like society basically shut down and like, we have to completely reorganize how we live our lives and think about them until God knows when. Uh, which a lot of us are just stuck in constantly. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people are having that experience, like especially a lot of creative people where if your work is like no one's coming at you, whether or not you painted, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you need to be self-motivated. And when the entire world is collapsing around you, it's kind of hard to... <laughs> focus and motivate yourself to work um well it's not even just motivation it's also input it's that's you true to kind of reflect what's going on around you and if there's nothing going on or if it's all just like mediated through fucking internet then yeah i mean i even wrote because that's primarily my creative outlet is the written word and i wrote just a short little, I don't know, thing, <laughs> not a poem, but like almost, I guess, about the feeling of being in quarantine and being stuck in your house. And I equated it to probably feeling the same as if you were a ghost, where you're just kind of floating mm. around, like looking out the window, hoping someone will see you. Mm. Um, and I posted it on Facebook and all I got was comments from people being like, are you okay? Oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I'm fine. I just thought it would be like worthwhile to try and document this unique 
point in history in some way beyond just like statistics, you know, but it, it, people were very upset and concerned for my well-being. <laughs> so it kind it's, of it's sweet of them to be concerned, but it's also like I mean, it's okay to not be okay is like a big thing like I've had to get comfortable with. It's like I'm kind of oh, like I I can deal with not being in a good spot. But it's when other people are like, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? It's like, then you start to get stressed out. It's like, well, other people don't think I'm okay. And they want me to be okay. So now I have to be more okay for them. And that's a whole nother like set of pressures. But I mean, I think with the the whole like quarantine thing, and like I've, I've spoken to a lot of creatives about like how blocked, especially the first like half of the year was for them. Mm -hmm. And part of the theory I've been, I've been building is that like so much of creativity comes from your perspective. And I think like the gravity of the whole situation kind of just turned everyone on their heads. You kind of stuck unsure of your own perspective since everything you thought about the world and what would be there tomorrow is kind of not exactly, not what you ever thought it could be. <laughs> so, like I, I think it was, it's been hard for a lot of creatives to reconcile that and, and, kind of relocate themselves in in a completely alien situation yeah it's difficult for sure <laughs> yeah I've been working on a what hopefully someday will be a young adult novel about um it's set in like medieval times but it's meant to be very politically aware is like I was kind of writing it very much from a leftist and feminist lens um and then by the time, like now, I'm going back and looking at it, I'm like, that's completely stale. Like, our province is selling off huge chunks of our pristine Rocky Mountains. That's what I need to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so then I pivot now. There's a mining part. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, yeah, it's really hard to focus on something uh, creatively, especially if your initial intention was for it to be one thing when the entire world around you is not reflecting that perspective by any means it's i don't know actually elizabeth gilbert has a really fantastic book about creativity called big magic um she's the author of eat pray love so that's what she's famous for but that book and she has a ted talk as well along the same lines it's so so interesting and really helped me come to the creative practice in a different way like she talks about treating your art your writing or your whatever it is that you do as like your lover like come to it in the stolen hours and always be like cherishing the time that you spend with it instead of looking at it as like a chore that you have to do I like that a lot especially I find with writers it's like we tend to schedule out our time and chain ourselves to the desk and then just stare at the little blinking icon like torment ourselves or try and like grind it out every day which you can still do that but I think it's interesting the perspective of like treating your art like it's your secret lover that you're gonna always make time for (laughs) steal away in the night to go visit it I like that a lot that's I think that's a good way to reframe it because too often it feel it feels like a chore like I don't I beat myself up for not making enough art not working enough at it and then it it becomes that chore whereas like the best things I've done were when I was like 
oh, I guess I'll make some art now. And then like three hours later, I'm like, oh, wow, I did that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's such a good feeling. And you said you did eight pieces. That sounds like a lot of paintings to me. So yeah, they're like drawings. Most of them were really small. I, I finally did one, one larger one that was like maybe 11 by 15. Uh, I finally did that a couple weeks ago and that felt really good to like, to make something bigger. Right. Yeah, that's great. Are, are you, are they for sale? Are you making prints? Um, no. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> I was just gearing up to give you a plug, but never mind. <laughs> maybe, maybe in the future, but I'm, I'm really preoccupied with, with work and some other things right now. So I'm just kind of giving myself, uh, doesn't need to be a hustle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not everything needs to be monetized. It's true. Okay. This is a little bit back of pivot back to chaos magic. I just found this quote when I was looking at it from Peter Carroll and I was like, low-key horrified a little bit because this is when I was still thinking well there's no like I didn't know about there being any like you're saying what you're putting out is coming back to you like I was I guess applying the morals of um like the satanic temple to chaos magic and not realizing like the difference in terms of I don't know the rules or like the understanding of karma in either case and then I found this quote that magic will not free itself from occultism until we have strangled the last astrologer with the guts of the last spiritual master. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. <laughs> A little intense. Right. It's yeah. very like Ho Chi Minh, but for magicians. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the Maoist magician. Yeah. Like instead no, of no. landlords, it's astrologers. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what is the what is the thing that would prevent a chaos magician from I don't know doing magic to cause harm to others or whatever? Like, what's the governing? Well, and thing? just to attend to that question is I think you, Maddie sort of defined chaos magic but we never actually gave Allie a chance to oh yeah please you can interrupt me literally at any time yeah. Allie you're very welcome to well I'm not horribly well versed I've read like maybe two books on it but I mean as far as I know they operate by the same by the same general rule that could either be like the threefold rule called karma or what matter cannot be created nor destroyed like there's um or rather what was it for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction mm, yeah so like this this principle is somewhat universal we just call it we call it various different things but like it if you want to use chaos magic to sow discord uh and pain you have to be willing to accept that into your own life which i think is a uh, a good enough barrier uh, barrier for entry for most <laughs> in terms of using it for ills. Well, see, that's exactly that's exactly the piece that I was looking for. That if I couldn't have found it, I that's when I would have been concerned because I would be like, <laughs> um, this is just low key terrifying. Um, but that's the thing when people in these groups, like all the other pagan communities on Facebook, like everyone's the angry boomer or like a weird libertarian like 
<laughs> all the members of them are just awful and always posting these really bizarre memes about how they're a badass witch and you, no one can tell them what to do and like they'll I don't know whatever and sometimes people are literally posting oh this is paraphrase of a real post that I saw on one of these groups where someone said my ex-husband got a new girlfriend, so I want to put a curse on both of them. <laughs> Tips are welcome. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Leave them alone. What are you talking about? Um, and so I, I usually jump on those threads and say something along the lines of like, well, I wouldn't do that if I were you because you're going to yeah. pay for it later. And then every single person, it feels like in the group dog piles on me saying, don't tell other people how to practice their craft and not everyone's wicked and shut up. We hate the threefold law. This isn't the group for you. And they like get so angry and I just can't wrap my head around it. I'm like, you know, all of these people that like hate, hate the idea of like, consequences or cancel culture or any of these like like they're so defensive when it's like their own skin or whoever they can project their own skin onto but then the second like some poor like innocent black man gets gunned down I'm like oh well, he shouldn't have had counterfeit money he shouldn't have he shouldn't he, he bought a loose cigarette what are you talking about that's illegal you should follow the law I'm like all right well this isn't a consistent logic <laughs> like, yeah. That's true. It's just people like defending their own, they feel like, or when they see themselves and the other, then they suddenly jump to their defense. I think it is interesting, though, how they all kind of like now use the same language of like, like, how dare you stand in the way of someone doing malevolent self-care by cursing their exes? (laughs) Yes, exactly. That is exactly the the vibe of almost every group that I'm in. I mean, not anymore, because I literally got kicked out of many of them for saying, you know, that's really bad karma. You're going to you're going to be hurting for that later. They boot me. Yeah. People don't want to hear the truth. Right. Mm. So I this is maybe a bit vague. So I apologize if it's difficult to get to the bottom of it. But what would you say? is the relationship between, like, say, sigils are a big part of chaos magic, right? And that is a visual symbol that is charged with specific intention and power. And so what's the relationship or the difference between sigils and just, like, art, you know, drawings or etchings or sculpture, right? Uh well, I think the difference gets to be negligible, but I, I I explain my belief coming from a skeptic background when I find myself kind of defending chaos magic as like that it can be perfectly rational. I explain that I believe strongly in the power of symbols and images and words and sounds. And it's hard for anyone to argue that they're not powerful because we do love art. We love music and we love things that look pretty or things that make us feel something. You can't explain any purpose for it other than that human beings love these expressions of experience. They love beauty and they love having their seeing their pain reflected back to them through someone else's eyes is a very validating um and good experience for people. Yeah. Um, so I think I think it's undeniable that these things are powerful. 
um, and that we can we can use them to our own ends. And I, in my sigil work, I like I like in my drawing I like doing very busy kind of detailed cartoonish things. But like my sigils are super simple. Like I do like a heart with a money sign in it, and it's like because <laughs> I want success and someone to share it with, like something like that. Oh, that's interesting. So you don't use the method of like writing out a word and trying to combine, like smush all the letters together. I've done that one as well. Like I did, um, I combined the letters for joy and I made the O uh, an eyeball and kind of did a little ornamentation around it, but just to create like that one symbol, like manifest joy in my life. And when I'm, I think about that symbol whenever I'm feeling less than joyful and like in a turnaround of about 24 hours, like I can find something to be really joyful about. Right. Well, that's awesome. Hmm. It reminds me of this quote, which I'm looking up who said it, it was a monk though, for sure. Um, uh, here we go. I got him. The quote is the eye with which I see God is the same with which God sees me. Like the eye with which I observe the universe is the same as the eye with which the universe perceives Mm. me. I think that the fact that you included an eye in your joy sigil is very interesting because usually an eye, you wouldn't necessarily equate that with joy, but in the, in the experience of feeling like the universe is looking back at you, that is an extremely joyful Mm -hmm. uh, place to be. Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't even so, know if I made it an I, but now I'm going to take that one. <laughs> Meister Eckhart, that's his name. He was a German uh, monk and philosopher uh, with the Catholic Church. He he was the one monk at, like, a convent. So it was all nuns that he hung out with all the time, and people believe that that's why some of his writing is so profound, because the he didn't have the same scrutiny on him as other monks who lived with people who were more powerful in the church would have had. Um, that guy must have gotten laid. Yeah, for sure. There's <laughs> <laughs> only like one. Drowning in nun pussy. <laughs> Absolutely. One pogo. Sorry, I don't, know, I don't know how clean you want this. <laughs> we all got to take a ride on it. <laughs> oh, I love that that's where your mind went to. You. Same. <laughs> Just him scribbling that down in like post coital love. Just <laughs> for sure. Yeah, the eye with which she Well, because <laughs> that man made him see God. Yeah. So that's what happened. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so I found a term. This is a glossary term for chaos magic. Synchromysticism. Are you familiar with this? Synchromysticism. That's a new one to me. Okay, the definition says, a portmanteau of synchronicity and mysticism is the art of realizing meaningful coincidences in the seemingly mundane with mystical or esoteric significance. Oh, yeah. Right? And I wrote in my notes beside it, seeing 11-11, question mark? (laughs) (laughs) I've had some really weird ones. Um, One that really stuck out to me and kind of gave me goosebumps was uh, a couple months ago. It's actually that job was really funny, too, because I was going to an artist studio to pick up their work and the phone number we had on the paperwork wasn't working. 
And I went and called my manager and I came back and uh, some guy was outside the studio smoking a cigarette. I'm like, oh, you wouldn't happen to be like X, Y, Z, like the artist, would you? Like, yeah, who, who's asking? Um, I'm like, oh, we're, we're supposed to like pack up your thing and, and bring it to you. Like, oh, that was today? Oh, it's not done yet. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's the first time that ever happened to me where I got sent to pick up something that wasn't even finished. Um, but then... uh we're kind of waiting around for uh, my managers to like call the gallery managers and like they're, they're doing all their thing. And so I take a walk around and smoking a cigarette and I find two really cute little white lanterns uh, just on the curb on like some old furniture. I'm like, Oh, these are cute. Like I'll, I'll take these home like, and yeah. use them. Um, which was just like a cute little thing to find while I was like killing time. But then I get back to the warehouse and one of my coworkers, uh, this really lovely Belgian Congolese man, and he's like, Ali, I got you this beautiful present. <laughs> and he goes in his locker, and it's a larger version of the White Lanterns. Like, dead ass. Like, wow. <laughs> it's like double the size of like either of them. Like, that. this feels weird. This feels really weird. And like, it has to mean something because this is too weird. <laughs> mm. Like, the same day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did that to myself. Well, I didn't. I don't know. That happened something happened to me the other day similar where we live in like southern Canada right and I heard this is southern we live in southern Alberta okay okay whatever we live in Canada but not like in the northwest territories basically what my objection would be that more of Canada lives south of us than northwest population wise yeah yeah, but it's certainly not land (laughs) man Anyways, I heard Sorry. it was like night or like twilight and I was in my bed just chilling with my cat and I heard an owl and I thought, wow, that's strange. Like we live in a city, right? You don't hear a lot of owls. Um, so I went to the window and I'm trying to see it. I can't can't see where it is, but I'm still hearing it. I heard it for like 10 minutes hooting out there and I knew I wasn't mistaking it at that point. Um, and so I'm sitting in bed like looking up owl symbolism and every time I heard the owl, or I, every time I read something that seemed especially poignant for me right now, I swear the owl would be like, whoo, it was blowing my mind. And then I looked out the window at one point and I saw a white thing fly by and I thought, oh, I wonder if it's a snowy owl. And at first I was skeptical because they generally live in the Arctic, but after I looked it up, they do migrate to this part of the world and yeah, and then I started looking up snowy owl symbolism specifically, and I was getting really into it. And eventually, when I felt I'd learned everything I needed to, I, of course, like opened social media and I'm scrolling on Facebook, and someone posted a picture of a rat that they were smoked, like they had smoked, which had a picture of a snowy owl on the label, and the title, like the type, was called White Owl. Oh, I love White Owl. <laughs> And I was like, what? <laughs> that was, like, me out. I literally ran downstairs to our roommate and I was like, Tristan, I have to tell you what is that. <laughs> so that's synchromysticism, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> I guess we still haven't fully defined it, but same idea, right? Yeah, I think, I think synchronicities definitely happen. Like, well, one of the liberating things of like, kind of the nihilistic end of the spectrum of chaos magic is like well nothing means anything but that means anything can mean anything and uh like it 
it's freeing in certain instances where like I don't know I, I spent a long time like kind of just like why is this happening to me why is why are all these bad things happening to me and then I got to a point where it's like well they're not happening to me they're just happening okay. and I just have to react to them and it freed me of all of this like this feeling that it was my fault mm-hmm. and I was so much it was so much easier to deal with them when I gave up this like unrealistic sense of responsibility for them happening like sometimes things just happen but when you are looking for a sign when you're needing a sign synchronicities do start to pop up and it doesn't always you don't always know what they mean I still don't know what most of my synchronicities fucking mean because <laughs> they keep happening I'm like what are you trying to tell me <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. But they happen and they're strange, and you know they're important because the uh, yeah you feel that significance, and that's a part of what tells you to be like, well, it must be on the right track, at least a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another term from chaos magic is gnosis, like gnostic, a gnostic state, where it, it on the list that I was looking at, it had basically meditating like being still and being quiet to reach the gnostic state and then alternatively there's an ecstatic ecstatic version which is like dancing or self-flagellation was even listed as an example to obtain the gnostic state and yeah i just thought that was interesting and like how is it different from just meditating right I mean, people get different things out of meditation. People definitely have different intentions going into it and different ways of going about it. It's like the idea that you are, that you're thinking of nothing is kind of unrealistic, but that you can quiet so much of the other noise, I think is very necessary to people leading like a functional life. Like you have to be able to turn off the the other factors, the things that aren't in the room right now and be able to kind of table those to really get at the heart of your own experience, what you actually think versus what you feel like you're supposed to think or what you have to act like you think. And I, I enjoy meditation a lot. I started, I've been doing, well, I've been doing yoga since I was in like fifth grade, but I've been practicing every day for the past two years. And that's been a really big help for me, uh, incorporating yoga and meditation uh, and breathing exercises that kind of like harmonize like the body with the mental mental and spiritual practice of chaos magic and also just clearing my head being able to set clear intentions and understand what it is I truly want and kind of stitching stitching together the fabric between the unconscious and the conscious because our as much as we have our choice like I mentioned earlier like there's a point where we have a choice our subconscious is informing those choices far more than we give it credit for. And when we, I think a lot of people kind of don't pay much attention or are even much aware of their subconscious and then wind up wondering like why things are happening that they don't want. Well, it might be secretly kind of want these awful things and are afraid to admit it. And you're going to keep getting them until you acknowledge that you kind of like it. <laughs> That's absolutely where so much of my practice lives is like swimming around in the subconscious or like lurking around in the shadow self and with a yeah. lantern and being like, what's down there? <laughs> like, that's the best way to actualize yourself. I think it's you need to acknowledge the parts of you that 
you don't want to acknowledge. You have to do the very thing you don't want to do in order to like really grow and expand into your your full self. One well, kind of all of this is really uh, it resonates, I think, with my coming into a spirituality or a belief system or what have you, and that like one of the biggest struggles or one of the biggest things that I had to do was like let go of outcomes mm. was that like I shouldn't I shouldn't have specific expectations um, but rather kind of look like assess my situation and make the right next step because intuitively I would always know what the right thing to do was but I would ignore that in favor of like doing what I thought was correct. Oh, yeah, um, thinking mind versus intuitive yeah. mind. And as soon as I was able to do that, like I was a much happier and healthier and better person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, investing in the process, right? That's one way to bring yourself into a state of presence, always mm-hmm. investing. Even if the process of what you're doing is extremely boring, even if the pr- process of the action you're taking is taking a sip of water, if you are focused only on that action, it suddenly becomes a mm-hmm. gateway into like presence and that connection with the universe. Yeah. And I'm assuming that's also the, basically the same as a Gnostic state. I don't know, though. Like, is, is it one... To use a buzzword, it's like the the concept of mind, mindfulness gets really like bastardized in kind of like consumer wellness culture. But <laughs> yeah. the whole concept of like gnosis and meditation and it's really just being able to drop into the moment and being able to focus on what's in front of you and not let external abstract future factors, past factors play too too heavy of an influence on it because like I could I could spend two months laying in bed, chain smoking, uh, watching rock docs uh, through quarantine, um, just feeling terrible. Um, or like I could shoot, I lost my train of thought. It's because you're just thinking about laying in bed, chain smoking, watching yeah. rock docs. Yeah, I don't remember like how, how much nicer that was <laughs> than I really gave it credit for. <laughs> On the point of gnosis, though, I was I found another strange term that I didn't understand, which was indifferent. Now I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Indifferent vacuity. How would you pronounce? V-A-C-U-I-T-Y. I guess it'd be vacuity. Right. And that see, it sounds like it's kind of what you're talking about, where it's not necessarily a completely thoughtless state, but it's like a, a calm state where you're just kind of allowing whatever is coming to you instead of like getting all caught up in it. Yeah, um, that reminds me of a uh, of a word that's been ringing around in my head, uh, equanimity. Oh, okay. Uh, I went on a hike with uh with an ex a while ago who became like a, I guess a bit of a Buddhist monk kind of. He spent the last like eight years just like doing yoga in the woods and and stuff uh some some bougie bullshit but uh (laughs) 
we were we were having like a really good conversation about like spirituality and he was like there's like four in buddhism they say there's like four states worth being in and everything else is a distraction and it's friendship compassion indifference and equanimity so equanimity is like that mental calmness composure evenness of temper um right like this comes back to like a like a stage i hit which i was calling um radical acceptance (laughs) cool um it was just like even if things are absolutely fucking awful you just kind of have to let yourself radically accept that they are what they are in order to do anything with them or about them so it's like picking back up on the train I lost before it was like I did spend two months like just chain smoking in my bed but like I got to a point where it's like ah, like there's nothing I can do like I have to like accept the situation and not feel guilt or worry about it because all that's doing is exhausting me so that I can't do anything besides chain smoke in my bed and <laughs> Yeah, sort of letting go of that, like, that fear, worry of, like, things that were beyond my control or things that weren't even really in the room. They could just as likely not exist. Like, letting them sap so much from me. Like, you don't let, you don't have to let it. Like, that is the thing. Like, that's hard to, it's easy to say, but it's hard to internalize is that you don't, you don't have to let this get to you. You can, you can do something else. Yeah, it goes back to what you were saying earlier about, um, you can't control what happens necessarily, but you can always control your reaction to it. Hmm. Actually, Frankel is a Christian or maybe even a Catholic uh, writer, like philosopher who I read in school because I also went to Catholic school and he was in like a Nazi camp during the Holocaust and he survived. And after he came out, he wrote uh, Man's Search, Search for Meaning, which that's the whole point of it essentially to really boil it down is you can always decide how you're going to act and how you're going to react to a situation that you're in no matter what it is and it really kind of drives the point home when he's talking about his experience in a death camp (laughs) like it's pretty hard for anyone to read that and then go but my life is so hard (laughs) Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the thing it's an inspiring thing about like reading reading people's narratives is just the amount of hope that people can find within themselves in absolutely most hopeless situations that yeah for sure like the reminder of um human I almost said grit but there's a better word for it um resilience human resilience is so moving Mm. like I'm upset that's the one thing that always gets me is if it's like a brave resilient little girl in any context I will cry (laughs) (laughs) it's gonna happen every single time like when I read I am Malala I was crying openly on the on public transit like just (laughs) the book not like lightly just a tear like (laughs) while sitting on the train reading this book highly recommend i just watched um i just watched the suzy quattro documentary suzy q that was that was really good she was like 17 and already becoming like a rock star and uh yeah she talks about this whole she 
it's funny because a lot a lot of her perspective is like the trade-off of like getting what you want and like what you lose so like kind of coming back to the like the input and output thing and like she seems kind of haunted by losing her relationship with her family because she was in a band the pleasure seekers with her sisters and when the pleasure seekers and their next band cradle like weren't going anywhere anymore like she got she got signed to a label in like london and they only wanted her so when she uh she like left as like uh she was only like 18 19 at the time uh and just go left to left to live in another country and like become a rock star in her own right and like it was another like case of resilience where like things didn't weren't always working out like she never got popular in the US which like bothered her but she was also like a superstar in Europe and she just never let it stop her like she was always going to do what she wanted to do and just had like one of the most amazing careers she was like the first female musician to like really like front a rock band like that like influenced all these people from like Joan Jett to uh Chrissy Hine of the Pretenders and all these people like she set the framework for the the girl in the band thing yeah just a cool story about little girls and the resilience you're just trying to make me cry on the sea train more (laughs) (laughs) super inspirational that's awesome well okay to be honest Allie normally like the whole premise of the podcast is I don't know anything and Maggie just kind of like teaches me stuff. That's why I said he was playing his role earlier when he was just interrupting and saying things that were yeah. not unre- irrelevant. Um, I, do, like, I actually love him in real life. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I have gotten better at, at at least doing like a bit of research beforehand just so that I'm not totally like cold going in. This time, Maddie told me we were getting started at 6, and then she said Eastern time, which is not <laughs> where we live. So I was just about yeah, to it as, like, oh, yeah, we're going at 6. So I hadn't done anything. So I didn't know anything about Chaos Magic yet. So. But you learned, didn't I you? Learned, yeah. Yeah, I just asked you what you learned, and you just explained how you don't know anything. <laughs> well, I learned everything that we talked about. But I, I learned, really, like, that this does kind of echo my own practice of mm. uh, spirituality and magic in a few distinct key ways. Mm. Okay. I think the idea of setting your meditation to a specific intention, although like I use like chakras as mine, and it's just kind of like a focusing point rather than a specific goal, I find that is an echo. And mm-hmm. I think the scientific approach to recognizing the world as chaos yeah i think that's i think that's it well thank you so so much for hanging out with us this was really fun yeah is there anything else that you would like to add any point you want to deliberate on any plug that you have yeah um i mean i just really want i think magic and chaos magic specifically is an open enough framework that I feel like everyone could be harnessing this power for themselves to live happier, more fulfilled lives and by proxy, make the world a better place as you have happier people spreading happier feelings around the world. And I'd really like to see more people tapping into their own potential. Mm-hmm. It's a very wholesome <laughs> point. And I agree wholeheartedly. 
Sister Luna says, nothing is real, so you might as well believe in yourself. 